This morning I woke up happy. I looked outside my window to find a beautiful day, feeling so much love for Mother Nature and planet Earth, energized to do my part. So I took a little shorter shower than I usually take, and on my morning jog, I picked up a candy wrapper on the street next to the garbage can, and I threw it away. And last week, I shared that article about climate change on Facebook and the link to the documentary, and of course, I always, always recycle. I even installed energy-efficient light bulbs in my bathroom. I clearly did more for planet Earth just this morning than most of my friends and neighbors do in an entire day. Like I do every day. Nobody could tell me I'm not an environmentalist. So... It wouldn't be so bad if I start leaving the heater on while I'm at work for the day so it's nice and toasty when I get home in the evening, and maybe I'll look a little more into buying that SUV everybody's been telling me about instead of the Prius. I mean, I'd still be doing my part, right? Welcome to the Impactivism Podcast, where we explore how each of us, as individuals, can get better at doing good. I'm your host, Logan Sullivan, and this is episode number six. In 2011, psychologists studied the behavior of those taking multivitamins. Now, because these vitamins are perceived to be positive contributions to personal health, those consuming them adopted a false sense that these pills somehow almost made them impervious to byproducts of less healthy behavior. So among two control groups, both taking placebo pills, the group that were told they were taking the multivitamin actually ended up smoking more cigarettes They ate less healthy food, got less exercise, drank alcohol more excessively, and even engaged more often in high-risk sexual activities. So this is an example of moral licensing. And in this episode, I'm going to highlight some of its dangers. Not when it comes to our justifications for avoiding the gym, or for drinking too much, or (laughs) having dangerous sexual activities in our lives, but when it comes to our justification for acting in contradiction to what we believe in. You know, what we know to be right and ethical when it comes to doing good in the world. So I'll also explain how not to fall victim to this effect and how to continue to impact positive change despite it. And lastly, I'll discuss some other dangerous cognitive biases and sort of mental imperfections that can really amplify the negative consequences of this effect when they're coupled together and when we're not paying attention.
So moral licensing, again, is a phenomenon studied very closely in social psychology that describes one of the ways that we can accidentally allow ourselves to act against what we believe to be moral when we're not consciously aware of what's happening. It suggests that when we act in a way that we perceive to be ethical, we are thereafter more likely to be lenient with ourselves in subsequent ethical decisions. So having done something I perceive to be moral this morning, I have boosted my self-image and built some sort of moral credibility or moral capital that I can spend later. And I feel really good about myself for being a moral and good person, so I'm less likely to be judged as severely for doing something less moral this evening. I guess I'm less worried about the consequences of immoral behavior, both in the form of being judged by others and in the form of my personal satisfaction with my own behavior or my self-judgment. So when you hear of moral licensing, it's often almost exclusively really in the context of diets and of workouts or setting personal goals or spending money. I think the simplest example that we can probably all relate to and we've, I'm sure we've fallen victim to is recalling that salad you know, that I had for lunch uh, today right before ordering the larger dessert for dinner tonight, right? So I think the multivitamin example shows us how easily people are able to feel that one convenient action that contributes to something virtuous, in this case, you know, we'll say our own, own health is our, the virtuous element there, that action of taking one pill per day was enough of a positive contribution to their personal health that it made the less convenient healthy choices later on seem a bit less negative overall, right? Choosing not to maybe go to the gym later on. So through our ethical actions this morning, right, we have compiled a quantity of ethical credits today, right? So the act of jogging uh, later today will seem less necessary as we've already nearly hit our quota for the day of healthy actions that we were meant to take, right? So if your intent was to become a more healthy person, it's really interesting and kind of scary to think that the act of taking a multivitamin or sometimes going on a special diet or, uh, you know, choosing not to eat a particular food that we've been told is the source of all of our, you know, negative health, the act of doing that without being conscious of this effect can actually serve to increase our likelihood of counterproductive behavior. So that said, if, if you're merely aware of the existence of this effect and paying attention, which by the end of this episode, I hope you will be, you're much less likely to fall victim. And I guess taking that multivitamin or going on something that's not a damaging diet or avoiding what could very well be a very negative food, you know, just doing that might do some good and would be unlikely to do much harm. So, you know, there's no sense in not trying as long as it doesn't justify other behaviors. So if this phenomenon and sort of mental imperfection can so easily corrupt our personal morals, I have to ask how dangerous is this effect when it comes to our external moral choices and our attempts to do good to impact positive change in the world. When it comes to compromising our personal morals, I think this lapse in self-control or counterproductivity seems to possess, possess to, to me anyway, possess less moral significance overall. 
to be much less concerning. And, uh, you know, the consequences outside of oneself are not really prevalent. Therefore, I don't believe it to be much of a moral um, discussion. But when compromising morals that involuntarily impose conditions on another outside of oneself, whether that's on another human or we're making choices that impact non-human animals or our environment that we all share, it, it becomes, I think, a much larger discussion of greater moral consequence. And these are the, the discussions that this podcast will address. And I think there's really no shortage of these concerns when it comes to our wider reaching moral choices. And the effect really sure seems to be pretty heavy. But I'll come back to this in a couple of minutes with a lot more details. But first, let's get a bit more concrete here and discuss a couple examples we might be able to relate to. Now, these, of course, are not the most consequential or most impactful examples, and there are plenty of more significant examples to cite. But uh, just to help communicate the idea, I think these are probably pretty relatable. So to get back to uh, the first thing I said, I bought the energy efficient light bulbs and installed them in my bathroom, right? So I'm actually a little less inclined to pay attention to turning them off which a lot of studies have actually shown this to be very, very common. And in the end, this could really make the act of buying that energy-efficient light bulb potentially counterproductive or you know, maybe could leave a net-zero impact on our electricity consumption. So we could say that's not really a bad thing, but if we look at that at the same time, it can be inclined to sort of deplete this finite amount of energy that we have to give on a daily basis towards doing good in the world in the broadest sense if we categorize the energy we put into buying that light bulb as part of this pool of energy then we deplete it relatively inefficiently and that's a, another thing we'll talk about a lot in this podcast so in that case i think this would of course overall be damaging but of course again if aware of this effect and changing your behavior in no way then the energy efficient light bulbs would of course be better than energy inefficient light bulbs right so another example i helped an old man walk across the street yesterday so maybe that check i'm writing today to the nonprofit that i support Maybe it's not so bad if it's a little less than last month. I've already been doing a lot of good deeds, right? Or I think a really prominent example is I volunteer once a month stocking shelves at the local food bank. So I'm less likely to jump on the opportunity to volunteer my highly valuable, let's say, web development skills to help optimize an online interface for an effective famine relief organization. So this is not to say that volunteering at the food bank is not good. It's not at all to say that, but it's just to say that using, if we chose to use this same amount of time and energy volunteering a more valuable skill set that we possess and volunteering it for a high impact cause, addressing priority needs, you know, often meaning addressing those needing it most on a global scale, not on a local scale, might stand to, you know, at the end of the year equate to sometimes maybe hundreds or thousands of times more nutrients delivered to humans in need of nutrients, 
right? If we can deconstruct our volunteering at the food bank to be essentially that. And this would all be, you know, the marginal impact as a result of our marginal participation in these causes. You know, if we didn't volunteer at the food bank uh, versus if we didn't volunteer our time uh, making the website uh, fundraising more efficient, these would be the outcomes, you know, in a counterfactual world in which we were born and which we were not. But again, I'll talk about that a lot more in other episodes. But uh, I guess one other example, one that I come across very often that frustrates me to no end, is <laughs> very common within my line of work, you know, someone, I am a humanitarian worker, I am here in this humanitarian crisis, and I've clearly dedicated my life to, you know, helping humans. So I am very unlikely to consider the consequences of my actions as related to the environment or non-human animals, and I'm very likely to expend any energy avoiding these negative impacts. That's not always the case, but it's really sad how common it is among uh, humanitarian workers. And maybe, I don't know, but maybe among environmentalists, it's similar for humans and animal activists, it's similar among humans. I'm not sure, but I have to believe that that might be the case. Uh, so again, these may not be the most consequential, biggest mistakes that we make, but I hope you get the idea. Now that we understand what moral licensing is when it comes to our efforts to do good and how it tends to play out, there are a few additional ideas of men or you know sort of mental imperfections that can really compound the negative impact of moral licensing if we're not paying attention. So first is to notice that this effect seems to really intensify relative to how visible that initial act was, right? So if we did something in public or that all of our friends and all of our family are somehow aware of, it's likely to result in a heavier moral licensing effect than if we did something in private. So this could mean that the, you know, the act of me posting on Facebook that I very strongly believe in the importance of donating to the most effective, most impactful priority nonprofits, this actually makes me less likely to donate myself. And there's a lot of studies to show that this effect is really actually prominent and common within social media, people posting about certain things and being less likely to act in alignment with what they're posting. You know, just the act of posting gives them, you know, grants them the moral licensing not to take a similar action. So when we think about it, it's so sad, but when we really think about it, moral licensing may indicate that deep down somewhere, we may actually be more interested, you know, unconsciously, semi-consciously, subconsciously in looking like we're doing good or feeling like we're, we're doing good and we're good people than actually accomplishing good and achieving positive outcomes for the living beings or causes that we sympathize with. And it's so sad. And it doesn't mean that you feel that way. It doesn't mean I feel that way. But on average, it really seems to be the case. And it sucks to acknowledge that, but if we acknowledge it, we can start to work with it, right? And I think a really important consideration here is that this effect takes place, again, not when we do 
something ethical, but when we do something we perceive to be ethical. So this becomes most scary when we realize how often we're sold on ineffective ways of doing good and how often we tend to uncritically assume that positive intentions are necessarily followed by positive and significant outcomes. But this is just not the case. And there's episode number two, uh, positive, positive intentions versus positive impact addresses just that. So I encourage you to have a listen if you haven't. And often I, I think these ineffective benevolent actions that are sold to us happen to be the intuitive and convenient ones that are promoted to us and accepted because they require less energy from us, right? Sort of like the multivitamins and, you know, these one pill weight loss solutions to everything. But unfortunately, the most effective actions are often unintuitive and do require energy, or at least energy to evaluate, though I'd make the argument that once we evaluate the proper way to take an action, the most efficient way, it's rare that it requires additional energy from us. It just requires us to redirect our energy more efficiently once we've gone through the complication of evaluating it. So the second additional idea that you know stands to compound the negative effects of moral licensing is the way we tend to neglect to differentiate between self-regarding and other-regarding actions. And I have a full two-part little mini episode series dedicated to this idea that's coming out in the next couple weeks. And I definitely encourage you to keep an eye out for this and download these episodes because I really think this is one of the most important ideas to keep in mind when trying to have an impact on the world. You know, questioning what actions impact what causes and uh, trying to understand who we're actually reaching or what we're actually reaching through the actions we take. So again, that's, I think, really important. Uh, keep an eye out for that. But I won't elaborate too much, but in brief, um, I can touch on this. Maybe we can consider a situation in which you have chosen to, say, personally believe that exercise is bad for your health, despite all evidence suggesting otherwise. Now, this will negatively impact you and your health much more than it stands to negatively impact me, right? Though, I guess... Your health neglect could potentially put a strain on the healthcare system that we share, maybe raising my insurance prices by a penny or something, but that impact is insignificant, right? And there may be some other indirect impacts, but for the sake of this, for the sake of this example, we'll ignore that. But the magnitude of how much your choices not to jog or not to do yoga or not to do sit-ups impact me or another American or a Nigerian or Italian or a whale or a chicken or a rainforest or a coral reef or any other cause or living being, you know, that that can use help or, uh, you know, maybe that doesn't even need help, but that we can negatively impact involuntarily. You know, it's almost that the impact on them is almost zero compared to how much your lack of exercise would stand to negatively impact you. Right. So knowing you hold this this opinion, you know, that is bad for your health. If you asked for my advice, I would of course suggest that you, you know, ought to do a little research um, and that it might be a good idea to look into this a little more for your own sake. But I would only advocate these suggestions with an emphasis that matches the strength of my worry that I have for you. And if you seem to be a relatively healthy person, I'd probably say, you know, infinite evidence suggests 
It's healthier to exercise than not to exercise, but that's your choice. It's not impacting others. So other than your chronic fatigue, you know, how was your day? If that makes sense. But if your lack of exercise or another, uh, you know, opinion that you hold that is in contradiction to significant evidence um, that suggests otherwise, if that somehow negatively impacted global poverty or climate change or animal welfare, and you asked for my opinion on that topic, then I guess the strength of my suggestions might increase to match the worry that I have for these larger causes. And of course, I love you very much, but my concern for your marginal health relative to exercising or not exercising is much less than my concern for how you might negatively impact um, you know, other humans, non-human animals, or the environment as a whole. Right. And I'd probably be a little more persistent in suggesting that you consider the overwhelming data and maybe highlight the real impact of your choices to ignore reason on this particular topic. If again, I'm really butting into your life, but you asked for my advice. So <laughs> and I think sometimes it's really easy to communicate this impact uh, and other times it's pretty hard. So, if you know, say you took up the hobby of hunting humans on a desert on a deserted island it's hopefully really easy to communicate why that no matter you know how much joy or fulfillment you get from this activity, it's simply wrong, clearly immoral, and people are dying as a result of your actions. But if you are, say, voting for one particular candidate because of one particular cause that's important to you that they support, you know, it's a lot harder and more complicated in the real world out there when it's not the case of hunting humans to communicate the global implications of electing that candidate when it comes to other policies affecting millions of vulnerable people, our environment, or animals. So if you asked for my advice on that topic, I'd probably highlight the ways that your choices are negatively impacting, you know, those people in this particular in this particular way, whether you're obviously shooting them on a deserted island, or maybe how Trump's America first policies will contribute to unknowable amounts of global suffering, uh, even if his other policies will benefit uh, our neighborhood in a marginal way, potentially. So I guess I'm worried. I'd say I'm not worried about you and your life whatsoever related to this particular cause, but I am worried about these people that stand to be harmed by choices that could be made. So I'd say maybe try to take a look at this website full of research and data and definitely continue, you know, to uphold any opinions, you know, that you have when you ask my advice on them, continue to uphold them, no problem. You know, if they do not impose uh, negative outcomes on others, right, as I think the magnitude of moral consequences imposed on the innocent would likely be non-existent in these in these cases when you hold an opinion about you know the uh, importance of eating gluten or not eating gluten or you know your decision to pray um, decisions like this i i don't think that there's as, as many uh, moral consequences imposed on others in these particular situations so their moral significance is is much less i guess more broadly when our actions and you'll hear this this phrase a lot in episodes to come, when your actions involuntarily impose conditions on another, which other regarding actions do, then the moral debate becomes a much larger and more important one. 
So when we're debating how we do good in the wider world, right? Attempting to reach our outer circles, meaning those humans, non-human animals and environmental causes that are outside of our direct environments, our social circles that we can reach outside of our communities, but wider reaching causes. It seems that the dangers of moral licensing tend to really amplify in their severity and in their consequences. So this isn't to say that a negligibly impactful action, you know, maybe within our community, followed by the absence of a highly impactful action for the our outer circles, meaning the rest of humanity that we can reach if we so choose through deliberate actions, but are not, you know, directly reached in our community. It's not to say that that's necessarily a display of immoral behavior, or that it's a bad thing, not at all. It's just to highlight that if we do want to maximize or approach, you know, on the spectrum towards doing the most good we can do, then it's rather to say that the magnitudes of moral positivity we can achieve, the magnitudes of utility we can create in the world, you know, the magnitude of positive, uh, positive impact, they often differ massively. And we can stand to just waste so much potential if we fall victim to this. So if you truly want to do as much good as you're able, then I think this is just really something important to pay attention to. additional idea that stands to compound the negative effects of moral licensing is a common cognitive bias well understood in psychology called the scope insensitivity bias or sometimes referred to as scope neglect. So put as simply as possible the scope insensitivity bias prevents us from perceiving the act of saving 10 lives as 10 times as valuable as saving one life. So one study demonstrated you know, this heavy bias by asking three groups of people of similar wealth and demographics, you know, what they would donate to save 2,000 birds, to save 20,000 birds, and to save 200,000 birds. Now, one group was asked about each category. And sadly, so the group asked about the 2,000 birds. They were willing to pay $80. The group asked about the 20,000 birds was willing to pay $78. And the group asked about 200,000 birds was willing to pay $88. Again, that's $80 to save 2,000, $78 to save 20,000, and $88 to save 200,000. So I think this indicates another phenomenon that seems to suggest we have a finite amount of resources and energy to expend on altruistic actions. And I'll talk a lot about that in episodes to come. I actually dedicated a full podcast episode to discussing both the scope insensitivity bias and this tendency that we, we, we have to almost possess a finite amount of energy to expend on benevolent actions. So very quickly, I talk about how we might all sort of wake up with, arbitrarily speaking, uh, 20 altruistic tokens in our pocket. To spend and these are units of effort to do good for the day and it's our choice how we spend them and sometimes by paying a little attention 
we can spend the same amount of effort. Again, each one is a unit of effort, so it's not trying any harder. It's just thinking a little harder. You know, if we spend them, we can spend them thousands of times more valuably, uh, more effectively than otherwise. So we could say that we might be inclined to spend on to all 20 tokens on one unit of good, right? So that's that's our doing good for the day achieves one unit of good. While we could alternatively, by thinking about it a little bit, spend one token on 20 units of good and find a way to do that, right? And effectively, in the end, that would be achieving 400 units of good that day instead of just one. So again, that's way oversimplified, but there's a, there's a lot more on that to come in another episode. So keep an eye out for that one in the coming weeks and have a listen. So for a takeaway when it comes to scope insensitivity bias and moral licensing, it seems we allow our perceptions to assign similar value to very small accomplishments as we do to very large ones. So doing something we perceive as accomplishing good that either produces a tiny amount of good or maybe even has uh, you know, no actual impact at all, this can have an equally as detrimental moral licensing effect as something that accomplishes hundreds of times as much good. So with this, is, with this in mind, you know, doesn't it make a lot of sense that we collectively possess so much goodwill, so much energy, so much passion to do good things in the world? And it you know, feels like so many people are trying to do good, but so little ends up actually being impacted. Now, I think if we were aware of these mental imperfections of ours, imagine how much we could accomplish. Imagine the good that we could do, not by trying harder as far as our efforts go, but just trying a little bit smarter, you know, thinking about it, um, analyzing our actions a little bit more to take the same amount of effort and do so much more good. So in the end, uh, just, I guess, as a few takeaways, do, do your best to be sure of two things. You know, that the actions you're taking to accomplish good are those actions most likely to produce actual outcomes. You know, after some scrutinizing and a little consideration. And not just those that are, you know, that intuitively seem good. Or those that make us feel like we're accomplishing good. Be aware of your scope and sensitivity bias as well. You know... Be sure to value an action that accomplishes 10 times the impact as 10 times as valuable. And when you do contribute to improving the world, when you do something awesome, you know, when you actually are accomplishing good or even trying to and just being a good person, don't let that grant you the license to act in contradiction to what you believe in, you know, to what you stand behind, to what you love and what you care for, what you hold compassion for. You know, don't let it allow you to do less in the future because that's what you believe in. So act on it. Work for it. You know, don't allow yourself to justify why you've already done something so you shouldn't do something else in the future. Just keep up instead. Keep up the good work because you are awesome. You are incredibly capable and you have so much potential you can either make use of or let waste. So choose to consciously rise above moral licensing and continue creating change.
thank you all for making it through this episode. I hope this is more than just food for thought. I hope it's ideas to apply, something to really be aware of to help uh, help us you know, get better at doing good. Uh, if you appreciated anything in this episode, please consider sharing it. Uh, if you really, really liked it, uh, consider going to iTunes to leave a review that goes really, really far at the early stages of the podcast. Uh, so for that, much, much appreciation. If you want to get involved in the conversation, uh, check out at Impactivism is the, the Facebook page. Uh, you can find that pretty easily. Or if you go to logansullivan.com, that has all the links to everything you could ever need. Um, on that Facebook page, I'll have lots of conversations about similar ideas and offer up a lot more tools that we can put to use. So thank you again. And a big thank you to Hana. The, uh, she, she's the, the, one of my favorite musicians who has given me permission to use all the music in this episode. Uh, you can find her again in the show notes on, and in the notes on SoundCloud. You can find links to all of her stuff or you can, you can also look her up. It's H. A-A-N-A and there's an accent on the first day I don't know what it's called but it's the two dots I should probably figure that out uh, you can look her up uh, and that should be all thank you so much and I'll be back again every Monday and every Wednesday 